right, good evening. Welcome to week two of uh, Walking with God. Um, identify in, or identifying in Christ and using our um, basic foundations or the foundations that we find in Hebrews, S one, Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. Um, just first though, uh, any insights from last week as, uh, as the week has gone on? I, through the teaching that I did last week, it was interesting. I came up with something that I learnt or wasn't really thinking of. And uh, so I've got something. Is there anything that you can reflect on? Something that uh, has really maybe stayed with you during the week? Quick look through your notes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Repentance. repentance. Did you a lot of repentance going on? You don't need to give us the details. <laughs> but that's saying it and doing it. Yes. Right. Yes. So okay, so it's helped you to understand what repentance actually is. It's yeah. deep, deeper. I don't know if I'm hearing right. Yeah. Okay, great. Any other insights, thoughts? Okay. Um, who did you tell? Remember I asked you, are you going to tell somebody about uh, what you have learned? Um, this is... Uh, part of discipleship training or uh, what we call um, disciple making it within the uh, unreached people groups it's who, what, is, what, what does it say um, what do you need to obey and who will you tell so that was a question it helps us with the obedience aspect in being a disciple so that's why I asked that question and guess what did anybody tell anybody? You did? Well done. Well done. So that's in the context of where you are at the moment. Uh, you, you're able to share that. Great. Well done. Anybody else able to? No, it's not actually. It's actually pushing yourself out there and doing it, even though it's somebody who's related quite close to you. And that's the idea, is just to tell somebody something that you learnt because you wouldn't normally do that, or maybe not do that, and so yeah. Jill, what about yourself? Haven't you? That's okay. Yes, yes, great. All right, because um, that's part of our foundations, as I said, from uh, Hebrews chapter six. Let's go and read that again. Uh, we'll go into chapter five as well in a moment, but in Hebrews chapter six it says, "Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ." And go on to maturity. It doesn't say to leave behind those basic, these basics, these five, six, sorry, foundations, but it means they should be established in us as a foundation so that we can work on or move on into maturity. We'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God or faith towards God. Instruction about baptisms, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So, 
those are our six foundations that the writer of Hebrews uh, established. And um, just remember we used this particular uh, picture of a house built on the rock, but there was sand nearby, but it was established on the rock. And uh, it's from the, um, shall we say, the parable or the story that Jesus spoke, saying, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And if, we're conti if we continue on with that from Matthew chapter 7, um, it says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, what does the Bible say? They are foolish or unwise, aren't they? Because they built their house on the sand. And so we use this uh, to help give us pictures of what we're talking about and so on. Some of us um, actually use that. I'm going to go to that slide in a moment. Actually, why don't I go there first? There it is there. There it is. So, and the milk and meat, remember with the two types of house, one on the rock, one on the sand, and it's likened to the person who is still needing milk as a young Christian, as a young disciple, and not growing in Christ at all, not able to eat the meat of the word or the meat of, of, of the truth of God. So going back into Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So we want to get to the point where these things are established in our lives. We believe in them. They're operating and functioning. You might not be there every day in that sense, but repentance is something, for example, that's established. Um, faith towards God is something that's established and what that looks like. You might even grow into it more but at least the foundation has been laid. And tonight we'll look at baptisms and so on. So, you need milk, it says, not solid food. Verse 12 says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God or God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You can't take solid food yet. Uh, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, um, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So these are different aspects of which um, we want to be established. And it's interesting, it says there, that you're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, we didn't focus in on that last week. What is righteousness anyway? Uh, righteousness is right standing with God, not by who we are or what we've done, except believing the gospel and accepting the truth of the word into our hearts, being changed into a new creation and being called righteous. So the righteousness of Christ becomes ours. We'll see that a little bit in, in, in the story in, in our, as we look at baptisms tonight as well, especially water baptism. So righteousness is something that we need to understand that has been given to us and we are established in it and confident in it. Not confident in ourselves, but confident in what God has done to be called righteous. The Bible says actually nobody is righteous but Christ himself. But if we receive him, then his righteousness becomes ours. So that's why it says um, anybody who lives on milk 
being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So we do need to get onto the meat of the word to understand what righteousness is and to be established on the rock, not on the sand. Everybody said amen. All right, so let's move on anyway, because there's quite a bit about baptisms tonight. Um, how many baptisms are there? Why is it baptisms plural, for example? Uh, just again, just reading out of uh, chapter 6 there. Um, of Not laying again, the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. Instruction about baptisms. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. The other three that follow on, we'll be dealing with them next week and finishing our series. So, instruction about baptisms. Um, what baptisms do you know about? Do you know anything about baptisms? Is there a, anything that you've maybe experienced already? Is there, can you help me? You don't have to be right, by the way. It's just, you can go, mm, uh, I think it's this, that's fine. So, say again? act of being born again into a new life with like in relation with God okay so it's part of that journey are you saying or I'm just wanting to understand that it's good yeah anything else you want to add Jill dying to yourself and rising to Christ okay so this is going to be interesting this is to do with water baptism I imagine is that what you're saying and baptism of the Holy Spirit great we'll be able to unpack these two in a minute do you want to say anything else <laughs> Being cleansed of your sin. Okay, that's interesting because cleansing speaks of, normally it speaks of water, doesn't it? So we'll pick that up as well as part of the whole. So you're picking up little pictures or parts of what baptisms are and we want to add or build into a bigger or a more fuller story on that. So we're going to go to water baptism first and it comes from the Greek word baptizo, uh, which means to dip or to immerse. If I was to, actually I don't have a glass or a cup here, if I was to uh, put my w a finger right into this water, if I could, that means it's the same, in Greek it's the same word, it's to dip or to immerse completely, alright? So that's what this word, where we get our English word baptism from, comes from the Greek word baptizo or baptizo, which is to dip something in, to immerse something in, to marinate something in. If you... Uh, are marinating some meat and, and, and you've got all sorts of flavours and herbs there. That is similar, except you keep it in there longer, all right? But it's that thought of a submersing it or immersing it into something else so that that influence becomes, if we talk about the meat, the influence, the, the, uh, the juices and everything else, the herbs, the spices go into the meat, don't they? If you immerse it into a sauce or something like that, even as you're cooking it and so on. And so the outside begins to influence the inside and to change it. And to a certain extent, this is what water baptism is like. But let's unpack this a, a just a little bit further. So from Matthew 28, verse 19, um, do, shall we read that? I think it would be good because it's a scripture that we've, uh, Brad, Brad's been using on um, Sunday mornings as well. So it'll be good for us to quickly have a look at it. Matthew 28 says, verse 17 speaks about authority. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came to them and said, verse 18, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There's no mention of baptism in the Holy Spirit there, but there is, it doesn't say necessarily baptizing in water either, but we'll see that from other scriptures that it's actually what he's referring to. And in this particular statement is part of making disciples is to submerse them or immerse them in, in Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, but through the baptism of of water. So as we are baptized, as we are dunked, or whatever else you'd like to call it, as we are uh, uh, placed in the water, um, there, it, it's a faith act. Somebody else takes us, places us in the water, and brings us out. They may pray over us. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll see in a moment, other places actually says just the name of Jesus. So we'll have to work through why is that. I, I actually, uh, I think, we'll, we'll get there in a moment. How's that? Okay, the camera stopped working, but are you still getting sound? Okay, that'll be fine. All right. So, I can, act, I can act up and not be caught on camera. That's good. So, part of making disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, to immerse them completely in who the Father is, immerse them completely who the Son is, and immerse them completely who it is who's Jesus, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit. That's part of the whole picture. Now, I've got several scriptures here, and they're all going to give us a different view of what baptism looks like. So it's, it, there's actually quite a bit involved in it. Um, we may not understand that completely when we're baptized, but it, we are just simply being obedient uh, to the command or the invitation to be baptized as part of the process of following Jesus. So, Hallelujah, this is exciting. So being immersed in who the Father is, being immersed in who the Son is, being immersed in who the Holy Spirit is, is that fullness of God is, we're acting out, um, apart from what you mentioned before about death and resurrection, but we're also acting out the life of God coming into our hearts. We've already received Christ. We're probably starting to walk with Jesus already, but now we're going through the act of baptism as a, um, act of righteousness, act of obedience. Um, we're humbling ourselves just as Jesus was baptized. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Was he sinful? Did he need to be baptized in that sense? Did he need to repent of anything? No, but he did it to fulfill all righteousness. And so he went, came to John the Baptist and was baptized by him. And John says, I should, I'm baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. And then Jesus said, no, do it to fulfill all righteousness. So he did it as a pattern for us to follow that he himself was showing, this is how you're immersed in God completely. This is how you leave the old life behind. This is how you die to yourself and are raised again uh, in God. So... Uh, any questions or thoughts, by the way, as we go through these different scriptures? Any insights that you might have come up with? Just please do. Um.
Yes. Death. Hopefully, yes. It's a very good. So it's a good uh, illustration, actually, because uh, somebody else puts you under, not yourself. And some you've got to trust that person to bring you back out again. And, and, and so you're acting out what is already happening in your heart in Christ. I am dying. I'm showing this is me. I'm dying. The old is gone. I'm dying into the grave. It's actually associated with the grave. Uh, we'll see that in a moment, one of the scriptures. And then being resurrected again, somebody who's standing there with you pulls you out of the water and you can begin to gasp and breathe again. You couldn't breathe underneath there. You, you died. It's in a, an environment where you actually go through a, a death in that sense. You may not feel that and, you, and sometimes you don't understand it completely in here, but it's an obedience act and something does happen far greater than what we can see um, we'll pick up some of the thoughts that we've already spoken about in some of these verses um, Mark 16 uh, verses 15 to 16 says that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved now this brings a completely different insight remember last week we spoke about Repentance and faith towards God. Hello, here we have whoever faiths and is baptized or whoever believes, same word, almost the same word, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So the, here we are, we're seeing an association of faith in Christ and baptism is being brought together. Now, the big question is, and it may come up, is do I have to be baptized to be saved? Do we? It's a good question. My mind goes immediately, and I hadn't pre-thought this, was that when Jesus was on the cross, there were two thieves, one side and the other. And one said to him, please remember me today when you go into, um, into heaven or into, what was the word he said? Into paradise, that's right. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now the question is, did he repent? Very interesting. No, it doesn't show us. He said, just remember me. <laughs> I want to go where you're going. That's what he said. So therefore he had faith. Interesting, isn't it? But no, it doesn't show repentance. But probably it's, it is there, all right? Um, was he baptized in water? No. So do we have a problem then here? Whoever, so whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Without making this too complicated, um, definitely baptism does add to your walk in Christ and your salvation. Now just to give you a little bit of clarity, um, salvation is a, an instant, a moment when you receive Jesus and turn from your sins. That's kind of when the new creation thing happens. But we walk that out in life as well. So I am saved and I'm being saved saved hello you've learnt a lot more about repentance this week what is happening there's a greater level of salvation coming into your heart your actions are probably changing your obedience levels are probably going up your naughtiness is not so prevalent 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a process of being saved. You know, I don't mean to laugh at you in that sense, but, but to help you to understand exactly what is happening is that I am saved and I'm being saved. So whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So there's that continuation, there's a deeper sense. My baptism may be on a different day and a different time from when I received Christ. All right. But as we'll, we'll look at um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 in particular, we'll see there that the people heard Peter preaching and they said to him, what must we do? And he said, be baptized. And so they were baptized. We'll read it through com more completely in a moment. So the day that they believed, they were baptized. In fact, their baptism was a sign that they'd repented right on that moment. Okay. So, strictly speaking, there's not necessarily the same day, the same time, and all that sort of thing. Everybody has a different experience in this, and we're, maybe we're on a journey into Christ. And so for some people, they may receive or understand or believe in Jesus. Then they might understand a little bit more about what repentance is, and they'll go, oh, my Lord, forgive me for all that I did. And so you even start to repent to a deeper level after you're saved. How can that be? I thought you were supposed to be repent. Yes, it's part of it. So some people repent right at the beginning. They realize that they're convicted, and they say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Man, I have been against you. Now, Lord, I, be I believe in you. I receive you. So, but for the other person, it may be like that thief on the cross. He says, I believe in you. I want to go where you're going. So there would probably be some sense of repentance there, but not spoken out. Yet he wasn't, ba uh, wasn't baptized in water, but he went to heaven. Amen. Are you confused or are we, get are we going somewhere? Is it helpful? You want, to want, you want the next one? You want the next one? There it is there. So we can go into Romans, which is a little bit of what uh, Martin, by the way, if you haven't met Martin properly, um, Martin's with us tonight. Martin referred to this, probably well, I think he was thinking of this, uh, in Romans chapter uh, 6. So let's go across there. Uh, th it's quite in-depth. Shall we say the fruit of baptism, what is happening at that particular point, is... Um, Become, it becomes clear there, if I can get there. Here we go. I actually had this Bible um, covered in uh, a, a new leather cover, put on it while I was in Cape Town, and some of the glue got onto the outside pages, so sometimes uh, I can't get to the page I want. So that's my excuse. Pardon? Yeah. So we're just going to read a verse. This is a good passage by, I would really encourage you if you've got time to read from verses 1 down to, in fact, go on to um, verse uh, 10. But we're just going to look, look at verses 3 and 4 only, which is the core part. Or, don't you know, I wonder if I should read before that. Let's start with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized or included into or immersed into his death in the grave? We were all therefore buried with him through baptism into death. 
in order that just as Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here is a, a reference to actually dying. As far as God is concerned, when we are baptized in water, that moment you are actually going into death. You're immersed into Jesus' death. You're included in his death. You are acting it out. You're acting out your faith. You're included in his death, but not only that, also in his resurrection. Somebody brings you out of the grave. Can you resurrect yourself? No, you can't. So the person who's baptizing you is putting you under, and in, in a sense you die there, and then you're being raised or resurrected at that moment. And so you're acting out that which has already happened for you and that which you will also receive in the future when you have the res resurrection of your body and that final resurrection. But you're entering into aspects of it already. Hallelujah. I can remember when I was baptized and I didn't sense a lot. I didn't understand it completely, but I did it because I knew it was the right thing. It's only after that, many years, at different times, that I've understood it more and more and more and begin to live it out in my life. And so it's a faith act. When I'm baptized physically, it is a faith act. I, I'm saying to the Lord, I don't understand this completely, but I'm doing it. It's right. I'm going into your death. I'm coming out resurrected. I'm a new person. I can actually walk out my new Christian life by faith because, hey, I've already died and now I'm resurrected. So I can take hold of that and say, Lord Jesus, by faith, I want to see this working out in my life more and more and more. I have been obedient to this. I have died with you. And so therefore I've been resurrected. The old is no longer having control over me. So that's a faith act. And you may have to come back to that in your mind sometime or in your heart and say, no, hold on, I've been baptized. I've died. I'm now a new creation. And that could be faith. So again, the yes, you take sides. Yes, I belong to Jesus, yes, to the body of Jesus. Very good point. Can you be baptized more than once? Um, you don't have me on the so. Yes. Well, okay, uh, let's say the first time I was baptized, maybe I was quite young, yeah. and I didn't really understand it. And then I realized, no, hold on, I did this as a sort of an act in front of my friends. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I feel convicted by the Lord. He wants me to, or I feel I would like to, act this out in my maturity, in my adulthood, and be baptized again. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I understand it now, but then I just did it because all the other kids in church were doing it. Okay, so that's very good. So you're actually starting to think it through, and it could be that the Lord is actually asking you to, to go through it as an adult now, yeah. and also in your current understanding too. Yeah. You know, whereas then you wouldn't have understood most of that, and so on. So I've baptized people, like I've, I've been involved in, in, in a person's second baptism, um, their first one might have been as a child which was a sprinkling or a religious baptism as a you know, baby when they didn't know anything about it. They weren't even conscious of what was going on around them. And so they felt that as they've grown into Christ that, no, hold on, I now want to be baptized, immersed in water, 
as an adult uh, to declare my faith in that way before others as well as to myself. Does that help? Yeah. All right. I should tell you a little story. So in Botswana where I was ministering, there's one particular denomination that um, baptizes you three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this day I was baptizing a few people and this one lady says, I want to be baptized like that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I thought, makes no difference if it's just the first one or the whole three, it doesn't make any difference. So I did baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Her faith rested in that, that she was actually dipped three times. So it's not a problem as long as she and herself knows that she's been baptized. It wasn't an issue with me. Uh, I probably wouldn't have done it by ch choice straight out, but it wasn't an issue that I needed to fight about while I was in the pool. It was fine. So, you know, so these things happen when you're on the, in the mission field. Um, but it wasn't an issue to me. So, she is still serving God as far as I know. I haven't seen her in the last few years, but that lady has continued to serve God. So whether you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or, as you'll see in a moment, in the name of Jesus. All right? All works. All right. Um, actually, we will go into this section in Acts chapter 2, where Peter was preaching. We'll go into that a little bit, a little bit later on, but the actual message that he gave or what was happening at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. But we're going to pick up where Peter was uh, preaching after the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it, interesting the response that was going on here, how the order of things happened on this particular day. Um, Acts chapter 2 verse 36, starting from there. Um, he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured that this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Jesus, Lord and Christ. So he was preaching about what they, by extension, had caused Jesus to go through death. They put him on the cross. They were part of that picture. So they were starting to feel convicted, all right? So he said, when the people heard this, when the people realized what had happened, when the people realized that they were a part of putting Jesus on the cross, they were the ones yelling out, kill him, kill him, kill him. Now, when the people heard this in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. That means there was conviction and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we need to do? We feel convicted. We feel we've done wrong. I need to sort this out and so on. So, Peter said in verse eight, 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. No, not the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Is there an issue here? No. It's just part of the bigger picture. It's not an issue if you were baptized in the name of Jesus. It's, you're not going to miss out on anything. I think the bigger picture is we are immersed or baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's not an issue if somebody says, no, I just want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's, it's scriptural. It's not an issue. 
it's not something to fight over. The same thing's still going to happen in their hearts. They're not going to miss out on anything. Don't look for the wrong, but let's just see the right happen. For the forgiveness of sins. Now that comes out a bit clearer in this passage, doesn't it? So part of the baptism in this case, where Peter was preaching about, is that it's going to be for the forgiveness of sins. You guys are convicted right now. Let's get in the water. I'm going to baptize you. It's part of your salvation moment. So that was all combined with repentance, conviction of sin, repentance, the change in the mind, change in the heart. The walking out of that was being walked into water and being baptized in water at the same time. Do we have to be baptized in water the same day as we believe? It would probably work better, but for many of us, most of us, it's not. We often believe and then later come into that conviction and realize, I need to be baptized in water. And, and it's a separate uh, um, act at a different time. So all work just as well. And then he said, you'll receive the Holy Spirit as well. So wow, they're getting the whole package on one day. So they, we, we, as we'll look in a moment when, I, when we look at baptism in the Holy Spirit, we'll see earlier on in this chapter that the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they began to speak in tongues and so on. Then everybody crowded around saying, what's going on? Then Peter began to preach and this is his message. He said, you guys who are watching this, you need to be repentant, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So on that particular day, you see all of the different aspects of what God intends for us as we begin our journey in Christ. It doesn't have to be like this. This could be in all sorts of order in different places, as we'll see in a moment. This promise is for everyone here now and in the future for all who shall follow behind us different generations it's a promise to us that we can enter into this so they accepted this message or his message and were baptized my question is oh by the way if you've got any questions go ahead what shall i do if i see that i need to be baptized what action point do i need to go through if i'm at this point and you may have uh, you may be on a journey which is a little bit like what you mentioned before, where you actually baptize as a seven-year-old, you've maybe gone away from Christ somewhat, and then coming back in that journey to Jesus, and the Lord is speaking to you. It may be totally different for yourself, it may be totally different for yourself. We're all on different journeys. But um, what shall I do if I see or begin to understand that I need to be baptized? Question. Anybody want to th throw an answer out here? Pardon? Talk to someone at the church. Didn't quite catch that. What's that? Talk to someone at the church. So maybe go to the pastor or... Talk to somebody at the church. What are you going to talk to them about? About being baptised. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, yep. Talk to somebody um, in the church or somebody who's mature as a Christian who may be discipling you already. I really realize now I need to be baptized. Will you baptize me or will you show me how am I going to do this? And they may direct you, in fact, to the, uh, the local church or whoever it might be. They might direct you to somebody else that they feel like, oh, I've never baptized anybody. I'll get somebody who knows more about this or whatever the case may be. Any other thoughts?
Joe. You're pondering. That's good. Uh, you're deep, deep thinker. Sorry. Okay, Martin's saying that. Sixteen or so. If you're young, right. Talk to parents. So just just out of interest, you've got two children at uh, at at school, fourteen and sixteen. They are convicted that they should be baptized in water. You'd like somebody to connect with you first about that, or or themselves. Yeah. Good, very good. So there's different ways to, to process this, but there's good and proper ways. And in this case, it seemed like these people were all mature or grown men and women, and particularly he was addressing the men. All right. So again? Uh, unfortunately, well, it's, it's, it's this, in those seasons, it was the men that were often addressed first, and quite a bit of, I've been reading in, in, uh, myself in, in here, in Timothy, it's interesting that Paul was addressing the men in most situations, um, but we find that um, that was just the way that it was recorded in those days, how many men were there, the families, like when, when Jesus fed the disciples on the hill, um, there would have been so many men, but there were also women and children there. So it's just that they were never included in that, in that, in the actual figures and so on. There was a little child that bought the food. He had the fishes and the and the bread, didn't he? So there were a lot of children there as well and so on. So yes, I do understand that. What you're saying? Point taken. All right. Do you want to have a break for a couple of minutes? No, we don't, have, we don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to go into part two. Is that okay? Take a deep breath. Are you ready? Right. Holy Spirit baptism. That is being immersed in the Holy Spirit. What does this look like? Have you experienced this? Well, we use the same term, so that's interesting. So that's what we do, obviously, when we baptize in water, we are immersed. So actually, though, at the same point, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, this is not a physical element like water now. It's the Spirit of God. So we are filled with Him inside and outside in a very brief way. The Holy Spirit is involved right from the beginning. He begins to speak to us. It's Him that convicts us of our sins, for example. He's involved there. The day that you're born again, He comes in and lives inside of us. But this is a separate or, shall we say, probably not the right language, but larger, greater, further experience in the Holy Spirit, okay? For empowerment and for so many reasons that uh, we'll unpack some of these now. We don't have a lot of time, so we'll just sort of have a quick look, have an incursion into what this looks like. And there may be a lot of un unanswered questions. But go, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. We're still in there perhaps. Um, in particular, um, maybe what I'll do is just let's go back to the promise of Acts chapter 1. Let's go back. There's a promise that um, Jesus, this is after Jesus' resurrection. He's meeting with the disciples. And he says, apart from other things, um, he said to them in verse, um, they, they were meeting together in verse 6. 
they asked him and said, Lord, um, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, remember that word, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, second word, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I haven't made notes about this on here, but just to, to, to ponder that, if you want, would, is that there is the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is to going to come upon you. Um, part of that reason is for empowerment, to live for me and to be a witness for me, to be a disciple and a discipler for others. Beginning first where you live, Jerusalem, Judea, uh, in the areas around us that are of the same culture and language, Samaria, as you begin to get into different groups, maybe different countries and different places that maybe still speak your language a little bit, but are different, and then to the ends of the earth. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit was that you will receive power to be a witness. Now, the first fulfillment of that is written for us, or uh, recorded for us in chapter 2. This is about 50 days later. When the day of Pentecost came, chapter 2, are you there? Acts chapter 2. So when the day of Pentecost came, you got your Bible, that's well. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. So this wasn't a physical wind as such, but it was a sound, Holy Spirit sound of wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came down, that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit or as the Spirit enabled them or helped them or gave them that ability. There's a whole lot in there, isn't there? Uh, which we're not going to have a lot of time to unpack completely. But just that you know it's there, you can go back your, in your own time and look at that. And so this is the fulfillment of you shall receive power and be my witnesses in Jeru Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. This is the beginning of that happening. So they've been waiting on the, on, on the Lord. They'd stayed together and, and they were praying on a daily basis in the upper room. And about 50 days later, then they finally came that day when the Holy Spirit came upon them as Jesus promised. He didn't say it was going to be like this, but this is how he came, apart from the power aspect. Okay. Now there was a lot of... Um, different responses and reactions to people around them and we see that from verses 5 on down to um, verse 13 and in particular in verse 13 some of the people said they made fun of them because it looks like they've had too much wine these guys were happy they were singing they were speaking in different languages that they probably hadn't learnt and um, so something definite had happened in their lives. And as a result of that, Peter stood up and began to preach. And that's what we were just looking at. When the people were convicted, they then said, what must we do? And so on. So there was definitely an outpouring of power in that moment. So this is the first evidence of the Holy Spirit coming at all in a particular way. Apart from 
there are instances in the, in the Old Testament where individual people had the Holy Spirit and were used by God, but here it was now a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon those disciples who were gathered together, and then it was intended that this particular experience or phenomena should continue onto other people's lives. That's why Peter said, Repent and be baptized, verse 38, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that which you've seen, you're also going to get. Did they get it that day? We're not sure, because it just says that they baptized them. Okay? Um, because in verse 41 it said, Those who accepted P Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the promise was there. Uh, it doesn't show us how that actually happened. Any questions so far? Because I'm going to be quite quick. There's a whole lot of stuff. Do you want me to keep going? Is, why? Don't you want me to stop? <laughs> You're funny. So I'm going to quickly look at different instances when the Holy Spirit came upon people in those first few years, just to show you that it looked different each time, and the environment was different, and the people were different. And now Samaria, remember we, uh, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. The, so what happened, there was persecution uh, in Jerusalem. The disciples, some of the disciples uh, ran away because of the persecution, and one of them, or two of them, ended up in Samaria and began to preach there. And then eventually, it says in chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, that I think it was Peter and John were sent down to Samaria to see what had happened, and it says that they prayed over the people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's see what it says here. Acts 8, verse 14. It won't help if I'm looking in Acts 4, will it? Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had ac accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. In other words, there was no manifestation of the Spirit of God upon them. It seems like they were baptized in water. In fact, I think if we go back, we find Philip uh, preached to them. Um, and they were believed. If Simon himself was also baptized. So there was a baptism of water, but not baptism in the Holy Spirit. So when John and Peter came, they asked, well, found out, okay, you guys have been baptized in water. You now receive Jesus. Okay, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And they prayed over him. It doesn't say anything about manifestation there but Simon who was a, 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 a man who had a heart who wasn't quite right saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles hands so something happened as they laid their hands on them and so he offered money in verse 18 and 19 give me this ability to that so that everyone in whom I lay my hands on might receive the Holy Spirit so something actually happened when Peter and John laid their hands on people there must have been some sort of manifestation. There must have been something similar to Acts chapter 2 happening. All right? Am I going fast enough? Acts chapter 10. Uh, I call these Greeks, but these are people are not uh, Jews. They weren't Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, we find there was a Roman centurion 
who had uh, heard, uh, had been praying, had a heart towards God, and he saw a vision, and the vision of an angel. The angel said, "Go and get Peter. Send for Peter, uh, who's in Joppa." And so he sent for Peter. Peter came, and he realized that these guys were all non-Jews, and he shouldn't specifically shouldn't be amongst them because they were so-called unclean. But the Lord spoke to Peter very clearly. He said, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. So that means you can speak to anybody. You can go to anybody's house. You can testify to anybody. And then uh, because, um, let, let's go to verses 48, 44 to 48, and then I can explain this a little bit more fully. So Peter was speaking to them about, um, about who Jesus was. He was teaching them about Jesus and who he was and so on. So while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, that is the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, or the Greeks, the Gentiles, okay? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, well, hold on. How can we forbid that these guys be baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just the same as we did. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. There's so much here. But just to say that while Peter was preaching, he didn't even expect anything to happen. That's the first thing. He sh he, they were unclean. I shouldn't even be here. That's what he said further up on the page. But he began to speak to them, and as he was speaking, they began to speak in tongues themselves. Nobody laid hands on them, nothing, but they began to speak in tongues just like Peter and the others did in Acts chapter 2. So then Peter said, well, hold on, if they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, when did they receive Jesus? When did they repent? <laughs> There's no, doesn't show that, does it? They just heard the word. And they felt, this is the gospel, this is good news. I, my heart is open to this, this Jesus. And next thing the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues. Then Peter said, well, uh, you guys need to be baptized in water because you've already received the Holy Spirit. So it's quite interesting here, they received the Holy Spirit first and were baptized in water after as a, as a, as a follow-up. So this is what I've been saying. There's not a particular order. There is a... There is a, a logical order that you should repent and have faith towards God, be baptized in water, and then receive the Holy Spirit. But God can do it all back to front if he wants to, and he does from time to time. So all of our lovely theological understanding can be turned completely upside down because God wants to be God. Amen? Not us. He doesn't want us to be God. Eh? Amen? So just wanted to encourage you with that. So there's one more instance uh, in, the, in Ephesians, uh, sorry, with some Ephesian people who had heard about or heard the preaching of John the Baptist. And I haven't gone into John the Baptist here tonight at all. We, don't, we just don't have time. Uh, because he, uh, except for when I said that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. So, but in Acts chapter 19, uh, while Paul was and, and Apollos were in um, Corinth, uh, they took the road south. And so it says that um, there they found some disciples and asked them in verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, 
No. We don't even know if there's such a thing. We've never heard about the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, them, then uh, what baptism did you receive? And, he, and they said, oh, we were bapt we, we've heard about John's baptism and somebody baptized us, they replied. That's all we know. Oh, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Second baptism in a way, isn't it? And, and when Paul placed ha hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied and there were about 12 men in all. Yeah, so you, can you unwrap that slightly? Okay. Yeah. They, they got sort of a, another baptism because first they got baptized by John the Baptist and then Paul clarifies us, you weren't baptized properly, you have to be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus, the Savior. So they do this and then God shows up by the Holy Spirit and they start, what did they do? Speak in tongues? Paul laid his hands upon them and they also received the Holy Spirit and they prophesied, which we hadn't seen before. Okay, so this is even opening up more things. So, again, there's just so much in here. It's very rich, but all I, really I guess what I want to say is in our journey in Christ, in our journey into baptisms and, un and an understanding of it, it could be in any order. I would... It didn't show that... that the, the, um, the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 repented, but I'm sure that would be part of it. As they heard the message, it's just it's not mentioned. They believed what, what uh, Peter was saying. The Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them with the Holy Spirit because most probably Peter in his mind was struggling that these people could even be born again. He hadn't seen or understood the Gentiles coming to Christ, not properly, even though Jesus had told them about it. So the Holy Spirit says, oh, I'll fix that for you. They can all speak in tongues. Oh, they're speaking in tongues. So um, we better baptize them then. Duh. You know, and that's, you know, so that's how that happens. So it can be in any order that we uh, come into these baptisms. Um, it's not particular um, which one it is. It, it could be your experience will be uh, one way, someone else's experience will be another. If I had five people up here telling me if they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and been baptized in water, each of their stories are going to be very different. Same content, getting to the same place, but a different journey. And that's the uniqueness of God in us and so on. So when we uh, come to the Holy Spirit baptism, uh, do you have any questions first? Then I've got one final question. All sorted, simple. Are you speaking in tongues? Okay, so that's my... What should I do if I see that I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, I haven't gone in depth at all about the accompanying sign of speaking in tongues. And maybe I should do just for a moment if I go back to Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 2 in particular, where we see that. Uh, it, it, here it, sp it speaks about it very clearly, first of all, in, well, since we're in 19. Um, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul placed hands on them. 
the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. It seems that um, as one is filled with the Holy Spirit or one is baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit, there is an initial uh, release or re initial prayer language that we're given which is not learnt in here. Those um, Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 weren't even taught about the Holy Spirit. They weren't even taught about the fact that you could speak in tongues, but such, that's how the Holy Spirit came on them in such a powerful way that they began to just speak in tongues automatically. For me, it was a totally different experience. I understood what the Scripture said, but I had not experienced it. I was prayed for that I might receive the Holy Spirit. And I went forward in a, in a church service, which was specifically designed for that, that people who would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit came forward. I was prayed for. I was standing there with many other people. A lot of people were praying in tongues around me who had never prayed in tongues before. But me, I was just like the proverbial concrete post. Nothing was happening. <laughs> Didn't feel anything. Sometimes I have, like in a situation like that, I might feel the presence of God before, but as I come into that particular moment, like on that day, it kind of went away and nothing happened. So for me... In the next two or three days, in the mornings in particular, as I spent time with God, I began to pray into that, Lord, I was stood there, I received you, Holy Spirit, but I'm not speaking in tongues. So I prayed, I got on my knees, and I can remember one morning in particular, just saying, Lord, I want this, I need what you've given to me. I want to experience this like these other people around me. For me, I had to grind it, grind it through in a, in a way, I had to push through into that. And then I just began to get one or two different words that were a little different in my prayer and as I was praying. And I just developed and, and used those words in my prayer language every day and it got to became more and more fluent. So uh, for me it was a, a, a process that I had to believe into and walk it through. For somebody else, for some unknown reason, God has just blessed them. They speak in tongues before they even understand it in their mind. They don't even know it's in the Bible. For me, I knew it was in the Bible, but I hadn't experienced it. So again, you're going to find people, your own experience could be the same. From an amazing, powerful encounter, speaking in tongues, you couldn't even stop it if you tried. To somebody like myself, who by faith had to walk into this immersion, this Holy Spirit baptism, and walk it out. And so that the, the promises of God, I, I pushed into them, and I began to see them happening more and more in my life more and more in my life. I didn't prophesy straight away. It took me a while to, to learn and to understand what that was and to begin to uh, function even that. Whereas these people, um, probably Paul never taught them about prophecy. <laughs> he laid hands on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. It just happened. Such was the presence of God uh, that uh, initiated that in their lives. Say again? I don't think so. I d it doesn't look like he taught them about that at all. He may have, as he laid hands upon them, he might have said, now God's going to give you a new prayer language. He may not have. Yeah, no, that's true. Not everybody does. So that's really up to us to say, okay, why haven't I, uh, since I now understand it, like in my situation, I didn't speak in tongues straight away. 
Yet there was definitely an impartation of the Holy Spirit. Very good question. Ah, okay. Shall I, shall I put it this way? Um, I think you're missing out on something if you don't come into that secondary or, or it's part of the package. But either we ourselves don't push into it or for some unknown reason we don't have that. Okay? So it's something to seek. Um, I, I, it's not a very good illustration, but if um, I think on your shoes there, yes, there's a tongue in your shoe, isn't it? Okay? So it'd be funny if I got a pair of shoes without tongues in it. It's not a good illustration, but it does help to understand, no, there's a whole package that God wants us to have. So it's the invitation is for us to go into it. Does God want us to speak in tongues? I believe so. But for many people, especially in the earlier um, generations of Christ before 1900, it wasn't common at all. It happened in this part of church history, but waned and, and became virtually nobody spoke in tongues for centuries. There was probably some small groups that did, but very few, until about 1900 or late 1800s, where this began to become, God began to open up the truth about it and experience it. Um, one particular revival at Azusa Street and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in about 1906, was it? Okay. That was very evident and that spread throughout the world at that time as well. So since then, it's been growing as an experience again. Whereas what the church had completely here in the book of Acts and went away, it's like the restoration of all things. So, yep, that my answer is yes, but don't feel bad if it's not happened yet. It's something, it's an invitation. Let's pursue this in whatever way. And there's a question here. What shall I do if I see that I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What shall I do if I see that I've actually received the Holy Spirit? I know that there's a difference, but I'm not speaking in tongues. So there's some questions for us to, to process and say, what can I do about this? Or what can I um, do to, uh, to walk into this in a far greater way? Okay, any questions? You're all sorted, eh? You're sweet. Great. So that's your action point, isn't it? Yeah. To, to be baptized, to, to, to um, talk it through with, you. well, you'll know who to talk it through with, yes. Um, any action points, Jill? What, would, what has that done for you? It's not, I'm, not, well, I'm not trying to... Um, Myself, but w what is it that's what's happened that you? Okay. Mm. Yeah. So you're looking back at what you did, and realize you've got a whole lot because of that. Is that what you're saying? Okay. That's what I've done over life. I, I've that's been a major thing for me is to look back to my baptism. And dig back into it and say, actually, what actually happened there? And, 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 and to, and to you know, walk in it to a greater extent. All right. Well, shall we pray as we finish? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We just thank you for the truths here, these foundations being built into our lives. You are the foundation builder. We are founded on you as well. And we thank you, Lord, that... Uh, you're wanting to build strong foundations in our lives. You want us to build on the rock on you. Um, 
not on the sandy parts, Lord, which would mean that when pressure and storms come, it may not end well. We want to be in a place when the storms and pressures come, we'll be established, we'll have tools in our, um, in our bag, we'll be able to dig into things that you've given us, we'll be able to go back to our baptism or baptisms and say, Lord, what else was in there? Uh, what can I bring into our, my current battle? What is it that I can use that you've given me? What foundations are there that I need to just to apply today, Lord? And so, Father, we just thank you for the word of the truth of the gospel, which is exploding and bringing maturity uh, in our lives and beyond us into many other lives. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Uh, God bless you. Thank you.